Welcome to the interview series, the first podcast by ICMP, the Institute of Contemporary Music Performance in London. I'm back with a second season of interviews, this time focusing on the people that made ICMP a pioneer when it comes to music higher education in the UK, our tutors. In this episode, I talked to Leah Mice, a multidisciplinary artist and producer who joined the ICMP faculty this academic year. I asked Leah about her background and how she went from studying a BA in filmmaking to becoming a performer and now also an instrument designer. Leah has designed a number of instruments, including a one-handed violin, a response to music lessons in schools where the same instrument, often a violin, is taught to the whole class as a one-option-fits-all kind of thing, often excluding children with disabilities. The matter of inclusivity within the music industry is very dear to Leah. I highly recommend checking out the article published by The Guardian, where she was featured in, together with other musicians with disabilities, currently working towards making the industry a more inclusive place. Leah also gave me precious advice on how to engage with equality, diversity and inclusivity discussions. The key, for her, is to keep focusing on the positives, rather than picking fights. This has allowed her to stay focused and do something good at the same time. Finally, I asked Leah about her teaching experience at ICMP and overall about what's keeping her busy at the moment, including her monthly radio show, her solo project, and a PhD in digital music instrument design. It was great to speak to Leah. I felt so inspired after our chat, and I hope you will too. If you like our podcast, subscribe and support us. Reach out on social media at ICMP London and let us know what you liked or didn't like. Thank you, and stay tuned for our next episode. Thanks for having me. Leah, you um, joined the ICMP faculty this year. So welcome. I mean, I, we still haven't met each other in person, but it's great to have you on board. And um, we don't really know you. I don't really know you. So I just want to get to know how you got started in music. If the household that you grew up in was like a musical one. Yeah. How did it all start for you? So I learned piano. My mom taught all of the kids in my family piano when we were really small. And then once I was old enough to go to school, I learned piano from a piano teacher. So yeah, I did begin out with the classical training, but we also had this Yamaha Electone D85 organ at home. That was a three-tier electric organ plus foot pedals. And it had these cool little switches that would put on different drum beats. And the drum beats were kind of funky little things like samba and mambo and bossa nova I don't know it was like in the 80s and that was something that I just played with endlessly as a child and so between making up funny little compositions on that that was just spending an afternoon on that um, and learning piano I'd say that was my early kind of musical training and then I started playing the trumpet when I was about 10 years old and I played that right through high school. And I bought a bass guitar when I was about 14. Then I joined bands and made some bands and was in punk bands. And so, yeah, I was playing all kind of, yeah, classical instruments. And then when I was in bands, I was just playing really kind of scuzzy <laughs> kind of punk music and then yeah and and then it all came back around full circle when I decided to start a solo project because now I'm doing kind of more synth stuff with electronic drums <laughs> <laughs> so you went back to that sort of like um setup 
Yeah, I was looking at the Yamaha D85 this week and thinking, wow, if I had space, I mean, it's a beautiful piece of furniture. I'd love to have one again, actually. <laughs> I think I actually had something really similar in my household. I was really, I, I used to love like just playing with those bits and like, it really reminded me of my, my childhood. But anyway, um, so let's move on to education because of course you are doing a PhD at the moment. You're teaching as well but I know that you didn't just study music. So I want to know how, how was it to, yeah, how did you get into music and education and what were your studies? Yeah, so, well, when I finished high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I had thought about doing music, but the thing is at that time and in Australia, you couldn't really do something like what is you can now do, like music production or um pop music composition things like that it just wasn't on offer so I didn't want to go the orchestral route of composition so I actually studied a filmmaking so I did a bachelor of film and television production and I had been experimenting with video production in high school as well so I did that and at the same time I just was in bands alongside that but at that point I really thought I was going to go into making films and through university just my music projects picked up a lot more than my film projects so by the time I finished it was quite clear to me that my path was music and when I finished university I moved to New York and really just focused on music from there I I have done some film projects since then but I've really as a career focused on music and I do think originally I am a musician more than a filmmaker so it's nice to put it all together right as like I do some audiovisual work as well and the module that I'm teaching on at ICMP is um, music production for multimedia so mm -hmm. it does all fit together and I still love films I love filmmaking but originally my bachelor was in filmmaking but when I moved to London, I did a master's of music at Goldsmiths in um, creative practice. Okay. And that is where I really developed like my third album, which is based on using the sampler in an experimental way. So that I did that in a way to sort of make up for the fact that I never had a proper um, university music education. Okay. And have you ever scored a movie or a documentary or anything like that? Yeah, I've scored a couple of short films, a few, one is called A Quiet Room in Walthamstow and one is called Every You, Every Me. And then some of my songs that have come out on my albums have been used in a sync way. So in a yeah. Australian television show used one of my songs and a feature film in America used another one of my songs. So how was it to score those? Like, were you able to sort of like combine the love of the two worlds that you've been into like was it was it like a great experience where you were able to you know put yourself in both shoes yeah totally yeah I yeah I really really love filmmaking and it's that thing that I'm always like wow I'd love to get a bit more into film scoring but at the moment yeah with doing a PhD and things like that I'm not it's not right at the front of what I'm focusing on but I really mm. did love that project and something I loved about one of the projects, it's the score that I did for A Quiet Room in Walthamstow. I 
I decided because it was a horror thriller, like a psychological horror, I wanted the score to be strings, so violin and viola, but I don't play those instruments. So I had some performers, I, I composed the theme myself and then I had some string performers play that and then improvise around that. And then I took those recordings and I chopped them up using the techniques that I would use for making weird electronic pop or weird kind of techno that I make. So I applied those skills to strings. So I was doing things like reversing them and changing the pitch and putting all the crazy effects on it that I usually do. And yeah, it was really fun. It was fun to have the influence of the film on my music because when I make music in the studio, there isn't an external influence. So it's fun to have that external influence and be talking to a director but it was also fun to use different sound sources that I normally wouldn't use and use that as a foundation for making what essentially did end up sounding like violin, but using kind of weird electronic music techniques. That's really cool. And you just mentioned the violin. I was gonna, I was gonna get to there because, um, so you have built several instruments. And when I was researching about you for this podcast, I came across this article um, from The Guardian that features you and I thought it was amazing. So basically in the article, they talk about music and inclusivity and disability and you are featured there because one of the instruments that you've built is a one-handed violin, which was basically your response to music lessons in schools that basically are taught to the whole class, like the same instrument is basically being taught to the whole class, which means that children with disabilities are not taken into account whatsoever. So can you tell me a little bit more about this and what's the main driver behind uh, you building your own instruments? Yeah, so this particular project, the One-Handed Violin, it came about through a collaboration with the OMI Trust. So that's the One-Handed Musical Instrument Trust, um, O-H-M-I. Yeah, I did a research project with them where we collaborated on what the design kind of restrictions would be to be modifying the violin so that it could be performed using only one hand. In a sense, it was a really great project because it really opened my mind to the fact that musical instruments, while they're created by humans, they're not really created for every human to be able to play. And in a way, it's just not even possible to do that. But unfortunately, with a lot of classical instruments and that are being taught in schools, so many of them really require the dexterity of two hands to play, if you think about a, a clarinet, a saxophone. And so the OMI Trust is working to modify every single instrument so that um, children are not being left out in these classes. And through working with the OMI Trust on that project, I started working with other charities. So one charity is called Drake Music, and it's a group of instrument designers and it's disability led. So it's all of the people who are running Drake Music have disabilities and are sort of pushing forward the idea of collaborative design, like rather than designing for people with disabilities and getting together people who have skills like myself as an instrument designer and um, collaborating with people who kind of have an idea for an instrument or modifying an instrument and yeah, just making music a possibility for people who have just been left out of music making until now. So 
the instruments that you have built? Can people buy them? Are they on the market? The one-handed violin was a concept, so it isn't something that you can buy. It relied heavily on research by Laurel Pardue, who is also a researcher who was at the time part of the research lab that I'm part of at Queen Mary called the Augmented Instruments Lab. So her research was using a violin and I won't bore you with the specifics, but it has an embedded computer inside of it. So it looks like a violin, but it has an embedded computer inside of it that can change the code of you'll play the string and then the the signal goes into the computer it changes the code of what the signal would sound like and then it comes out some speakers so in that way you can she has set it so that you can always play the violin in tune so when you're learning the violin it becomes more easy and then you can kind of turn down how how much it auto tunes the violin as you progress better at the violin and we had the idea to add a, a microphone to that so that to turn it into a one-handed violin you don't need to use the hand that selects the notes you only use the hand that plays the strings using the bow and then you sing the note that you want the string to be pitch shifted to so that's how you can play it with one hand but there are many flaws to this as an instrument for starters you're singing in the room so, I mean, if you imagine giving this to a child who then is in a classroom of people playing the violin, they also have to sing. And so that's creating sound into the room. And, you know, you could hum and that's less less volume, but it still creates a limit. So, I mean, you'd then have to train your voice to sing the notes and you can wrap the code so that it only fits around the octave that you can sing in and things like that. But it's not like problem solved. We've done it. We've done the one-handed violin. And so that's why it's not really on the market. But design concepts like this push the industry forward and they open to conversations. And they're conversations that are so important, especially in instrument design, where a lot of people aren't really aware of this practice of building your own instruments. A lot of people's relationship to instruments are from buying them from they've been mass marketed and that's fine too, but there is a whole community of people who are building their own musical instruments. Some of them are modified traditional instruments and some of them are just like extremely weird and wonderful creations. I guess upcycling as well is probably a thing. Yeah, I have another instrument that was upcycled from other broken instruments. Yeah, it's called Instrument Cemetery. I was going to also say, because you lived in different cities around the world, I'm curious to find out more about how was the conversation around inclusivity and disability within the music industry in the different cities? Like, what was your experience with that matter in the different places that you lived in? To be honest, I haven't really come across this as much in the other cities I've lived in. And that might just be because I wasn't at that time focused on building myself. Like I only became a instrument designer when I moved to London five years ago. Before that, I was a live performer. Um, So yeah, I was a little bit less in this industry. But the thing is that also London is really pushing forward at the forefront of this. So I already mentioned Drake Music. And that's a collective of musicians and instrument designers who are creating accessible instruments. And actually there is a Canadian researcher who has been joining the Drake music meetups because 
they pointed out that this is a sort of world first community and this community needs to be researched and it would help communities like this form in other cities in the world because there aren't really that many people tackling this issue. And uh, you also mentioned before uh, the researcher, uh, Laura Pardieu, whom you worked with in the Guardian article, she um, claims she believes that the lack of visible disabled musicians in contemporary music is linked to the persistent lack of women in both the music and tech industries. It's an interesting link, of course, I can see it because of course we fall under the uh, diversity and inclusivity sort of like um, field. But I just want to know what you think about this connection. Yeah, that that connection is absolutely right. And also all marginalized people are less visible. I mean, it's a construct of capitalism. So capitalism needs somebody to be at the top and for somebody to be at the top, it needs other people to stay at the bottom. And how does it do that? It acts like a big bully and it selects other people and marginalizes them. And it says, okay, you're a woman instantly, you know, we're going to place you lower. You know, you're a person of color, you're a disabled person, you're LGBTQ, you know, things like that. You're old. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really just acts like a bully. And we really need to challenge that. Talking about something happier, maybe. Uh, <laughs> who were the artists and musicians that you were looking up to when you were like growing up and developing your craft and who are you looking up to now? So growing up, I really looked up to Björk. Björk, is su she has such a long career and she's always been at the forefront of pushing forward in music technology and music production and instrument design as well. And one of the first instruments that really made me think, oh my God, I'd love to get into instrument design was an instrument that she performed with called the gravity harp. So yeah, I've, through all these different periods of my life, Björk has been a really big influence. And now that I'm a music producer, I'd say other producers who are using new technology to make weird and wonderful music um, are the people I look up to too. So um, producers like Object, Sophie, Robert Henke, just a lot of people who are really engaged with technology and pushing it into new domains. And talking about heroes, I personally grew up just listening to a lot of white men, cisgender musicians, and they still are my heroes at the moment. But I'm, I'm trying to sort of like open up and I have opened up quite a lot when it comes to inclusivity, um, when it comes to like people that I listen to as well. What do you think about like trying to cope with, you know, your identity? So the sort of like musicians and the people behind the music that you still, you know, they grew up with and trying to be more inclusive. I mean, that was that was definitely an issue and it's still an issue. It's the music that was pushed by, at that time, music magazines, and now it's music blogs and music press. And what we need to do is kind of consider what do we wanna to listen to? And if, if we open our minds and do a little bit of looking ourselves, there really is so much music created by all different types of people out there. And it's it's amazing, I mean, you can't just expect the best music to be made by one subset of type of people, you know? So yeah, something that I do is like, I don't really get my music recommended to me by something that's an algorithm like Spotify or something like that. I, if I want music recommendations, I'll listen to radio shows and DJs who are really digging deep on different 
types of music. And yeah, there's people are putting together lists of different types of music. And yeah, I think it's a really great time. I mean, we are in the age of the internet, so the music's out there. And we can just create our own strategies for finding it ourselves rather than it being dictated to us, like, you know. By an algorithm. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like the old days of the television where you just put the television on and you had to watch what show it was on, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. You don't have to just be dictated what music is out there anymore. And yeah, yeah and now we can move across all of time, you know, we can move <laughs> yeah, definitely. from any time as well. Yeah. And um, you mentioned uh, radio shows. I believe you have a radio show as well. I do. It's called East Blenders and it's on Threads Radio. And what is it about? So my friend Janine Abair, she's also a music producer based in London. So we, we usually go back to back, but since lockdown, we've been doing an hour each and we'll choose a theme each month and we'll select tracks on that theme. So it's a fun way to like... Our musical taste is experimental, outsider, electronic music. And, you know, not just techno and things like that. We like experimental pop. It can have vocals in it. It could be soundscape. Um, but in within the world of outsider electronic music. And then if we choose a theme, we find that we dig deeper and find weirder music to include each month. So it's a really fun, it's a fun thing to always be digging for new music because I feel like it's that sort of creative input really comes back out in my work. And again, it goes beyond an algorithm. Yeah. <laughs> um, going back to sort of like just um, learning and, and teaching ourselves how to be more inclusive and, and diverse, um, there are so many different things that we can tap into. So whether it's age, it's gender, it's uh, ethnicity, there are so many things that we need to take into account. And as I'm trying to navigate this myself and many other people are as well, I find that it can be a little bit overwhelming at times. Like there are so many things to sort of like remember and learn and, and teach yourself. What's the best way to stay focused, but still think about all the things that you need to think about for you and like not going insane? What's your way to cope with all of this? Yeah, this is an important point because it's often put on the shoulder of marginalized people to have to have these conversations. So what I like to do personally is keep the conversations really positive. So I'd rather promote somebody or I'd rather say, look at this great work, everybody check this out. And I'd rather do very positive comments like that rather than picking fights because I'm not the kind of person who does well in a fight. I just get too emotional and then it it clouds my day, might cloud my week. That's not really fair because, you know, I'm just trying to do something good and then it's getting in the way of my work. So I would rather keep the conversation positive or if I'm being booked on a show and I'll realize, oh, there really aren't many women on this show, I might then say, hey, can we also get this person on? Or, you know, so that we can use our opportunities to then work in a positive way to, to kind of make make the world the world that we want to live in you know so that's my approach anyway I think it's such a it's such a beautiful way to see this and I think also your because I've been stalking you a bit I think yeah. your Twitter account is like an amazing example of this it's like all the information you need to know in a positive key in a positive way and um, thank you that's really uh, inspirational 
Now let's get to teaching at ICMP. So of course you only just started this year, but um, I want to know how did you end up at ICMP and how you're liking it so far? Yeah, well, actually I have COVID to thank for <laughs> my opportunity to teach at ICMP. There hasn't been much good about COVID, but one thing is that the class sizes got cut in half so that there, there could be social distancing in the classroom. And for that, they had to bring on an extra tutor for what I'm tutoring on. So yeah, that's how I joined ICMP and I'm just, I'm really enjoying it. I feel like I'm getting a really good deal because I I feel like I'm learning at the same time as teaching because I'm just someone who is a lifelong learner. I'm putting together the classes. I'm I'm trying to see like what's the most current thing and what can I put into this. And it's I mean it's a topic that I love, you know, music composition plus um, production plus multimedia. So yeah, it's it's been great. It's um, I. I, something that was surprising about it is that I feel almost like it's a mentoring situation as well because there is a lot of time to talk to the students about not only like what we're learning about in the class but also just the industry in general and being a musician and you know because I have a few years on them most most of them not all of them um, I at least have some industry experience that not everybody has so I think I think at least my experience in music is that through mentoring relationships, you can really learn a lot. So I'm hoping that I'm creating a little bit of a mentoring experience as well. And um, what about the, uh, the the other tutors? What's the community like? If you Have you had any chance to sort of like interact? Yeah, a little. There, there were only half of the classes were on campus since I've been there and half not. So probably haven't had the same experience as you would if it wasn't COVID times. But I have really enjoyed just the friendliness of all the other tutors. I can tell that everybody is a musician and is really kind of sort of like myself, like a lifelong learner. And I mean, when you are obsessed with music that you just don't have the choice to not be. <laughs> and music is so deep that it really takes so many years to really learn everything and you, you'll never get to the, the point where you do know everything because you just get fascinated and take turns and like you'll turn oh what's this around the corner that's really exciting I'll just go look at that for a bit so yeah I, the times that I have met the other tutors it's been a really great time where you talk about what you're up to and then you'll find something really interesting and yeah I, I quite like the the ICMP culture in general for just being a lot of people who are incredibly enthusiastic about music and learning. Definitely. I sort of like got to the end of my questions, but now I want to know what the future has for you. Like, what are you planning? What are you working on? What keeps you busy besides um, teaching at ICMP? Well, I only teach one day a week, so it doesn't even keep me that busy. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm, I've got so many other projects that keep me busy. Yeah, you mentioned I'm doing a PhD. It's in digital musical instrument design. So I'm actually focusing on large instruments. So right now the trend is for digital instruments to fit on a desk because everybody's making music at home. The home studio has really picked up in the last 10 years and you'll find a lot of synth companies are releasing small instruments. But my research is about what we're missing out on when we 
scale down an instrument and make it smaller. So I've built an instrument that's two meters wide and two meters tall. And it's a digital instrument you have to play with your hands. And it's a little bit absurd, but I am running... (laughs) I'm running studies on how this influences the music that is being created and I'm also making a desktop version and this I mean yeah the other instruments that I've mentioned were well aside from the one-handed violin the other instruments that I have built were for installations in galleries so they weren't really meant for expressive musical composition they were more a, a musical instrument but an engaging musical installation or piece of sonic art so you wouldn't necessarily compose on them but with this instrument it's designed for composition so it's been a really big learning curve to learn how to compose something that yeah has expressive qualities to be able to compose music on and yeah you can get many different sounds out of and it's a digital instrument and I mean, learning all of the how to code it and how to embed the sensors in it. It's I'm still finishing it. Um, that takes a lot of time. And yeah. aside from that, I'm working on another album. It will be my fourth solo album. And through that, I'm using, yeah, doing a lot of digital synthesis and seeing where it takes. I never really know where my albums will go. I sort of start them and I have to wait for them to shape themselves. So it's still shaping itself, but I'm quite excited. And yeah, it's, I mean, these are not great times that we're in, but being stuck inside with some synthesizers and making music is at least, you know, there's something to do, something to pass the time and wait for better days. So do you tend to work on your own or you like collaborating as well? With the music uh, that I'm creating at the moment, I'm working on my own. I sometimes collaborate. I I actually did a collaborative project with another ICMP tutor, Jake Williams. He's got a project called Flies and Flies, and we created some tracks together, and then I remixed one, and that's come out. And the tracks we created together will probably come out at some point. Um, But generally, I compose and produce on my own. And then with the instrument design work, that is something that we have a research lab called the Augmented Instruments Lab, and it's mm-hmm. extraordinary. And that's where I'm doing my PhD. And so fortunately, I have some people there who I can ask questions to, and I have a supervisor who will help me conceptualize and help design the instrument as well. So, so that's more of a teamwork. Yes. Makes sense. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was really really lovely to talk to you, and I am looking forward to whenever we'll be we'll be able to meet in the building, and uh, you you'll feel the buzz that that's at ICMP when everyone is there. It's nonsense, so you're gonna love it, I'm sure. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Lara. This has been great talking to you.